African entrepreneurs owning significant companies that are building in this sector and ensuring we can feed ourselves with nutritious food. So we're providing funding and access to mentors and access to data. Um, it's a one-stop shop. It's like a LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, DevEx for ag entrepreneurs to enable them to scale. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I am Akego Okoye, and on the show today, a candid conversation with Indidi Munyali, founder of Leap Africa, co-founder Ace Foods, co-founder Sahel Consulting, and director at Center for Memories. We talk about her strong sense of identity, her rage for change, and her burning desire to empower and feed her people. What was it like growing up in an interracial home um, in Nigeria? Well, the interesting thing is my parents made a conscious decision to raise us to believe that we're actually 100% Igbo, 100% Nigerian (laughs) as an identity. And it was actually a very good decision. Because in terms of identity of who we were, we never thought of ourselves as half American, half Nigerian. We thought of ourselves as Nigerian, Igbo. So I think that identity and that sense of self, um, I think that pride in culture was something remarkable. And it's a gift that my parents have given me. That's such an interesting story. We'll come back to that when we, we come to talk about your, your new venture. Um, but, but, but still, still on, on the background, um, I read that you went to, to Wharton for, for undergrad. Yes. Um, your first degree. And, and you hosted the, or you organized the first African business, um, conference. I mean, now there are a dime a dozen, but, but what, what gave you the idea at the time to do that? I was really inspired by a group of students at Harvard. My sister was at Harvard undergrad who had started the Harvard African Students Association. It was a very active association. And they had started the first conference where all the schools got together in 1993. So I was really inspired by what they were doing at Harvard. And it was just wonderful community. They supported each other. In fact, they met me when I arrived at 16 at the airport in Boston, like 16 of these Harvard students from Harvard and MIT. And it was just a phenomenal community. So that's what inspired me. Um, And then I revived the club. I got us out of debt, cleared our bad name, and we became like a leader. So actually, if you go on the Penn website, it would say I'm the founder, but really I'm not the founder. I just revived the organization. And that was the Penn African Students Association. But when I got to Harvard, it was very clear to me that there's a lot of ignorance about business opportunities in, in Africa. In fact, in 1997, when we started the Africa Business Club at Harvard, most African students at Harvard wanted to stay in the U.S. They had no interest in going back to Africa. It was a very difficult time in Africa's history. And so um, I actually was at the the Black MBA Association Conference, and it was a phenomenal, huge conference. And I sat there with a student from Wharton, MSCN, and we said, why can't we replicate this for Africans? We basically were inspired by how well run it was, so we decided to start an Africa, the biggest Africa business conference, and we would rotate from school to school. And eventually Harvard said, you can't share the name with Wharton. Uh, <laughs> if it's going to be Harvard, it has to be Harvard. And so um, it ended up being 600 people that year. It was the biggest conference on campus. And now they have 
close to 2,000 people every year comes to Harvard Business School. And yeah. it's done really well. I think they just celebrated their 20th year last year. And uh, they recognized us for being pioneers. So we're really happy. But I also said that I feel like we failed because now every single business school has its conference. Yes. Which in one way is good, but in another way is bad because you're splitting efforts. You're talking to the same speakers, to the same funders, and you're not getting the benefit of all of you actually putting all this energy into translating to action on the continent. So I think it's a lot of dissipated efforts. Um, which was not our vision at the time. And I want to mention that year, my, my, the theme was reversing the brain drain. Right. Yeah. That's the conference. And I'm so proud that so many of us who started have gone back to Africa. That's quite a good place for me to pivot because the, the next thing I wanted to explore, you, you, you talk about an experience you had in Ramallah where, where Palestinians yes. said to you, why are you here trying to, to help my yes. people when your country is a mess? And you said after that, you moved back to Nigeria. And, and if you can also just talk us through how you actually made that move. Did you just pack up and go? Or, you know, how did you actually make that transition from McKinsey in the U.S. to, to, to living in Nigeria? So my story is one of divine intervention, and it's a series of divine interventions, which only God can explain, uh, have been phenomenal. When I was a student at Wharton, I got a DHL package from Nigeria. I was like 19 years old with a job offer wow. for a company called ARM. And they had, they didn't even interview me. They just offered me a job to come and work with them. And uh, I tell you, that's divine intervention because when I left Nigeria in 1990. Went into 19, when did I leave Nigeria? 1991. I never envisaged that I would come back. That was a really dark period. Wow. Yeah, Bacha years. I mean, there were riots on campus. Um, so basically, I never envisaged. That offer was phenomenal because I actually sent my mom from Enugu to Lagos to say, Is this, does this company really exist? Is it a 419? And she said, it's a phenomenal company. It was seven months old. Asset and resource management company. So I actually came and worked there for the summer. Okay. And that was a life changing experience. This was um, 1995. And then, in fast forward to then thinking, ah, this is actually probable and my skills can be utilized in Nigeria. I went to Harvard Business School. And while I was there, also, as I mentioned, spent the summer between my first and second year in Ramallah, working in the Middle East. And it was a fluke. I mean, everybody, I got other offers, but this was an opportunity to help Palestinian businesses and ensure that they could be trade between the countries in the Middle East to lead to lasting peace. And there were two Palestinians who were visiting uh, during my time there who had been going to school in Nigeria on a full scholarship from the Nigerian government. Wow. And these are the ones who asked me the question, <laughs> why are you here helping us when your country is such a mess? And that was really a very important question mm -hmm. because, yes, the Palestinians are phenomenal people and I learned so much from working there, but I realized that I could make a lot more difference in my own home country, working on some of the same issues around uh, creating wealth, creating jobs, transforming the lives of people. So I actually went back to McKinsey because they paid for my business school. Mm. And one day I got a call from a man named Fola Diola, who's a very successful entrepreneur. He had started Guarantee Trust right. Bank. And he said, 
to me, you know, I hear you want to move back and I want to offer you four jobs. And the last one he mentioned was Fate Foundation. He wanted to start a comp- an organization called to help young people start businesses called Fate Foundation. Mm. And I wanted to start something similar, but for women. And we went back and forth. And in the end, I resigned from McKinsey after only seven months wow. of being back. Because uh, they had paid for my business school, I had to take a loan to pay them back. Because what how it works is if you work at McKinsey, every day you're back after business school, they forgive. So if you leave before your time is up, you have to pay them back. Wow. So I had to take a loan wow. and pay and move back to Nigeria, and it was the best decision I made because it was such an ex. I was 25 to be able to run a nonprofit and um, have such phenomenal support from a dynamic founder and board mm. that gave me a hundred percent um, of support. I was able to have tremendous impact in a short time. Um, I think, you know, it was a good decision and I'm glad I did make that decision. That's awesome. So how did you then go from that to, to leap and, and what does leap mean? And, you know, where did all that come from? Yeah. So basically I ran fate for 18 months. And when, when I was back in Nigeria, I met my ex-boyfriend who actually had met at this conference in 93 at Harvard that my sister organized, if you can believe it. And uh, then he proposed and then he got into Harvard Business School. So we had to move back to America. So I had to do a very quick succession from faith. That organization I thought I was going to be running for the rest of my life. And so when I got back to America, we went to a spring break trip with his class and it was in Guatemala. I looked out of the window and I said, this country supposed to be one of the poorest Latin American countries. I haven't seen any pothole. I have, they haven't taken the light. Mm. Um, you know, what's going on here? And that's how I came up with the four words, leadership, effectiveness, accountability, and professionalism. And the idea was we need these four critical attributes in the lives of every African. And so that's how LEAP was born. So LEAP stands for those four attributes. And what LEAP to do and continues to do 18 years later is to inspire, empower, and equip a new generation of African leaders who are dynamic, who are principled, and innovative, mm-hmm. and who can drive Africa's ascent to a global um, superpower and shoulder to shoulder with any other continent. Um, so that's how LEAP was born. And right then and there, I came up with this acronym and wrote down the concept notes and shared it with a few people, and the rest is history. How did you fund LEAP? <laughs> Yeah. So I think with every idea I've started, I've written down a concept note. I've shared it with a few people. And um, with Faith, we had funding from the Ford Foundation. And so I had built a strong relationship with Ford Foundation. I had also done an internship with them. So when I came up with the concept note, I also shared it with the program officer at the Ford Foundation at the time who had funded Faith and who had also provided my internship. Her name was Dr. Adiambo Daga. Um, and so she provided seed funding for LEAP for the first two years. $250,000 wow. was the amount we got. And then we were so fortunate to have support from so many people. I mean, we would send that first newsletter, people would send checks. Ms. Dr. Stella Okoli sent a check of 1 million naira. I'll never forget it. The first newsletter we did, I sent it to her. She sent back a check. And people were, just came out of the woodwork because they were excited about our focus on leadership and ethics and getting young people to be leaders of today and tomorrow. In various interviews, Indidi has talked about growing up angry and learning to turn her anger into positive change. We spent time talking about her leap from the nonprofit world into for-profit 
Feeding Africa, the rewards in spite of the challenges of doing business in Nigeria and leaving a legacy. When you think about the African continent, we're naturally endowed for agricultural excellence. Mm. And I've always been interested in food from the perspective of not as a foodie, someone who loves to eat, but as someone who feels there's no reason why anybody on this continent should go to, should go to bed hungry. And, you know, I always tell people, how do you know you're called to do something? You start, just have an outer body experience, start observing yourself. What do you see? What do you see that others don't see? What do you feel that others don't feel? And I noticed that I would see hungry children. I would not come into a room and see Prada bags or Gucci shoes. I'll see hungry children. On the street, I can't tell you what the difference between two cars, but I'll see hungry children. So that became something I became very aware of. The second thing is I noticed is that I'd go to countries and I'd want to go into their supermarket to see what they're selling that's from the country. That fascinated me. I wouldn't go to the clothing stores. I would go to the supermarkets. And I realized that we could actually be processing what we eat. 40 to 60% of our fruits and vegetables go to waste. We have some of the highest malnutrition rates in the world. We're net importers of food and it doesn't make sense. And so this is actually a huge management failure when it comes to agriculture. We've left agriculture to, you know, subsistence farmers and to international traders who are taking advantage of us. And so I felt a calling by God to enter the space. And I've worked in this space now for almost 12 years, full time in the agriculture and food landscape. And, and what I've done is build my knowledge and expertise. Anybody can build knowledge and expertise in anything they set their mind to, but they have to focus on it for a defined period of time. And so over time, I feel like I've become more knowledgeable and more confident about my abilities to make a difference in this space. And so we've launched a number of initiatives. We have Ace Foods, which is an agro-processing company. It's a 10 years old. We source locally and process for the local market and for exports. And we have a range of spices and complimentary and breakfast cereals. And then we have Sahel Consulting, which is my day job right now. And we work across Africa, transforming the landscape. We start off doing business plans, market entry studies, strategic studies. And now we're actually implementing long-term projects in dairy, in cassava, in yam, where we're actually helping start companies or ecosystem solutions. And we partner with government, private sector, development partners. And then our sister company, Sahel Capital, we used to be one company, and that one is a private equity fund, and it invests in agribusinesses. It's invested in shea, in poultry, in rice, in cassava, palm oil, dairy. Um, and then we've just launched something called Nourishing Africa, which is a whole movement. It's a digital company, an online home for a million entrepreneurs, because we believe that, you know, this if every African just spends a dollar on food, you have a $900 billion industry. If we send, spend $10 on food, you have like $8.7 trillion. And in between there is the truth. Somewhere between $1 and $10 is what people spend every day on food. And so it's a, World Bank and AFDB estimate that it's a trillion-dollar industry. The question is who's going to take advantage of this trillion-dollar industry. And what we want is to ensure that African entrepreneurs are the ones who control this industry as opposed to multinationals or trading companies. We want African entrepreneurs owning significant companies that are building in this sector and ensuring we can feed ourselves with nutritious food. So we're providing funding and access to mentors and access to data 
Um, it's a one-stop shop. It's like a LinkedIn, Facebook, and uh, DevEx for ag entrepreneurs to enable them to scale. And that's our newest uh, introduction to the sector. Okay. What did you call it? I... Nourishingafrica.com. Nourishingafrica.com. Yes. How many people are on the platform at the moment? Do you know? So far, we have about 300 entrepreneurs who are active users, okay. but probably 800 people who have signed up. But it's new and we want to get to a million. Um, so these uh, entrepreneurs, are they mainly in Nigeria, West Africa? What's the spread? All over Africa. All over Africa now. Um, that's why I was in Morocco, Ethiopia, Kenya, and South Africa two weeks ago. I came back last week and we were actually having, so we have online events. We have podcasts and trainings for them on the pub, but we also have off- offline events so they can meet each other. Okay. So each country are partnering with a different organization in South Africa. We partnered with Bressa Michelle Trust to have a convening for African women. In Kenya, it was with uh, AATF. Okay. Uh, so in, every, in, in Morocco, it was with Maza. So in every, every country, it's a different partner. Okay, that's very interesting. And the the, the fund, yes. how is that doing? How is that because that that is that is something that is of of um utmost concern on the continent, the access to finance. Like you can have a great business plan, you know, but it always comes down to access to finance. Yeah, it's doing well. My husband runs it day to day. As I mentioned, we used to be one company and we split. So I sit on the technical assistance investment committee. So that's my link to the fund. But we're actually in two separate buildings side by side. Um, and so we have Chinese walls between the companies, but the fund is doing well and they've invested in about seven companies and hopefully they'll be going to start a new fund at some point soon. But this fund is specifically for agri- agribusiness. Agribusiness in Nigeria. In Nigeria. Okay, fantastic. Yes. It's called they managed it's called the Fund for Agriculture Finance in Nigeria, Fafin. Fafin. Okay. Yes. With regards to agriculture, how has been what was your experience dealing with government agencies like NAFDAC? How have you found working in Nigeria and you know working across the continent? Working in Nigeria is not easy by any stretch of the imagination. And the food sector has been extremely challenging. I think Ace Foods has probably been the toughest thing we've ever done, apart from raising children. <laughs> um, so, in fact, it was funny. When I, my husband and I were starting Ace Foods, one of our board members and dear friends said, gentleman and lady, going into this sector hot thugs. Are you sure you guys can handle it? And I was like, hey, I'm a tough woman. I've been starting businesses in Nigeria. Hey, one day I called him up. I said, you know what? You're so right. So it hasn't been easy. We faced issues across the board from immigration, scaling our walls one day, looking for expatriates to, um, you know, with guns, scaling our walls with guns, you wouldn't believe it, to being cleaned out by our staff. Um, to NAVDAC, you know, taking a year to get um, NAVDAC numbers. Hmm. But I think that, you know, it's called a school of hard knocks. So in the beginning, like when our car, our van would be impounded by VIO, we wouldn't be able to sleep all right. night. Now we're like, we can sleep. You know, you just get tougher. You get tougher because when you run a service company, 
it's fairly straightforward, you know, in terms of what you're dealing with. But when you run a manufacturing company in the ag sector, you're dealing with your farmers, so your supply chain, you're dealing with your factory itself, you're dealing with your distribution channel. And that whole ecosystem is wrapped around government policy and, and you know, any elements on the road and flooding and climate change and lots of shocks right. that have to do with you know, global commodity pricing. So on a daily basis, you're contending with so many different factors that can make or break you, but the rewards are amazing. I mean, think about the fact that every, every year when we have an end of year Christmas party in Ace Foods and I see people bring their children and, you know, their extended family members. Mm -hmm. And I think about the number of lives that we've transformed, not just immediate staff, but even, you know, the farmers in the value chain, the distributors, the women, all through each of those landscapes. It's so refreshing. I mean, just earlier this week, I was in the factory dealing mm. with an incident around safe space for women. It's International Women's Month, 8 March. And, um, you know, historically, a lot of the women there are Yoruba, and I can't speak Yoruba, and would need to have a translator. But in this case, my HR said, Didi, you've forgotten they've been doing an adult literacy wow. program. They can understand you. And I was so happy because it's one of the things I said is, guys, we have to actually do an adult literacy program for these women because they're going to need to learn how to read and write. This is like the, the factory workers. As we automate that, we don't, we don't want them to be left behind. So literally, we've been doing an adult literacy program for a lot of our entry-level staff at the bottom of the rank to ensure that they can move up. Um, and it was just exciting to see that I could actually communicate with them on very sensitive issues, which historically I wouldn't have been able to find the right words to to discuss. And just seeing the transformation, we give them a warm meal. They have health insurance um, and they can educate themselves and their children. So that is such a fulfillment, fulfilling experience. And I think ACE has been probably the most fulfilling initiative that we've been involved in. That's awesome. So do you, do you manufacture only in Nigeria? Yes. So right now, Ace is still manufactures in Nigeria, but we export to South Africa. Um, okay. the, we've exported to the Netherlands and the US. Okay. And then that brings me to back. We've come kind of full circle to the whole about your growing up fully and totally Nigerian in a multi multicultural, multiracial home to to center for memories. So I'd really want to hear more about how that came about, how it's going, and what your plans are for Center for Memories. Because again, this is in a totally different space, but not something that you're unfamiliar with. In terms of the Center for Memories, so in 2013, I went to a, a convening in England, and I remember it was like 25 of the richest and most powerful people in Nigeria. I just happened to, you know, have slipped in under some divine intervention. And there were so few Igbos of this 25. They were like three. And I said, you know, this is not reflective of Nigeria. And I asked the convener and he said, oh, he couldn't find any Igbos who met the criteria. And I was like, are you kidding? I know so many amazing Igbos. So that led me to create something called Olandibo. So I convened some friends and we basically said, we're going to bring a hundred of the best and brightest first, second, third generation people, wherever they are based, and we're going to bring them together to meet each other and to think about what they can do to give back to Igbo land. They've achieved success. In fact, top three in the world in sports, in entertainment, in every field. And we brought them together. The first convening was in Lagos. 
And at this forum, everybody was supposed to come up with an idea of what they are going to do. And at the forum, a man called Patrick Okibo came up with this idea of an Igbo historical society. He wanted to do this. Three years ago, I was like, Patrick, so many of the ideas that came out of online Igbo were implemented. And I said, Patrick, you know, what are we going to do about your idea? We have to do something about it. And we came up with, you know, the name Center for Memories and five of us came together and we said, we have to start it. And I basically had to kick everybody in the butt to actually get it started. But it's now started. Patrick is our chairman. We have a very dynamic and distinguished board. Um, and we have a physical space in Enugu uh, where we have a children's library. We have a monthly books club. We have a monthly lecture series, a children's club that meets biweekly. And they've had three phenomenal exhibitions. And Itswadi has been amazing in helping us with the exhibitions. The first one was Igbo Contributions to Nigeria and the World. The second one was on Lost Technologies. And the most recent has been on 50 years since Biafra. Um, and we are just so delighted. We've also curated a movie in partnership with Eddie Kiezo that's focused on 50 years since Biafra and the Biafran War. Um, and it's been life-changing, not just for the board members, but for the beneficiaries. Every day we get emails from school owners, from youth groups saying, thank you, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for enabling us to understand to, about our history, our culture, and both restoring our pride and also teaching us critical values. Um, and I, I'm in legacy mode, and I think all the board members are in legacy mode. We, we have children. We see in the next generation coming after us, and we know that we will be held accountable for what we teach them or what we fail to teach them. And so I'm really um, optimistic about the infusion of culture and heritage. and um, really the collective action that has produced the sense of our memories. That's awesome. So so what's next for Ndidi? <laughs> well, as I said, I'm in legacy mode, so I'm just letting God dream for me. I'm currently working on, on a book. Oh great. Um on how Africa can feed itself and the world and what it you know, what it will take for us to get ahead of this issue. Um uh, really focus on the role of entrepreneurs. I'm doing a fellowship at the Harvard Kennedy School. Sahel is 10 years this year, so we'll launch the book at our 10th anniversary. Congratulations. From, thank you. But apart from that, I'm just trying to be my best self and be used of God, be a great wife and mom and daughter and sister, all the many hats, and also just inspire the next tier of people to take over the organizations that I've started. I'm very happy that Leap is being run by a young, dynamic team. I just sit on the board. Ace Foods the same. I sit on the board, and I'm trying to get... To, off many boards and to get Sahel off and running on its own as well. So are, are you no longer angry then? I'm still very <laughs> angry. <laughs> Every single day I'm angry. In fact, I was angry about Nigeria earlier this week. I'm sure you've been following what's going on in this part of our, our world. But, you know, we, we really have so much work to do. And, um, you know, there's no time to waste. So I am still angry. But what I'm doing is creating an army of change agents. So with everything that I start, my calling is to be an enabler. I start things for other people to take to the next level. So I'm getting other people angry enough to to take it to the next level. And so I'm excited about what God has in store. Um, I'm looking forward to more reasons to celebrate Africa and to celebrate Nigeria and to celebrate being alive. That was Indidi Munyali founder of Leap Africa, Ace Foods, and Sahel Consulting. 
she continues to work to expand agribusiness in Africa and inspire the next generation of leaders. Thanks for listening to the show. This was our first full episode. And if you liked it, please do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud. If you could also write us a review, it would help us get the word out. You can also drop us a line on Instagram or Twitter. Our handle is AfriBizStories. I am Akego Okoye and you have been listening to African Business Stories.